Welcome to Think Aloud, where you'll hear from the people shaping arts and culture today. I'm Harriet Fitchdittle, and I'm appearing in an unscheduled fashion in your download feed to bring you this Christmas special. One of the things that we have enjoyed the most over the past six months of recording Think Aloud has been these burning questions that we've had in quite a few episodes where we get an expert in to answer a question that you've probably always wanted to know the answer to, never really thought to ask. Some of my favourite questions have included the time that we had Ted Hodgkinson from our very own books podcast on talking about how to judge a book prize. And we also had Jess Tom talking about how we should talk about disability. It's been a huge range of things. The answer is always really interesting. Back in November, we had our comedy episode, we spoke to Dave Gorman, and the burning question was recorded by Holly Walsh, who spoke about what to do when nobody laughs. And it made me realise just how incredibly good comedians are, in particular, at this sort of on-the-spot, spontaneous delivery of funny and also insightful answers. I mean, I guess that's something the stand-up circuit would prepare you for. So what we're doing with this Christmas episode, in keeping with the festive mood, is we've gathered together as many comedians as possible in a series of comedically-themed burning questions. Now, they say that if a joke's funny, it doesn't need explaining, so try not to think of this as us explaining the joke exactly, rather the joker. So myself and my producer Chica have been grabbing comedians whenever we see them around the South Bank Centre or even out and about in London over the past few months. The first thing we wanted to ask this ad hoc panel we've been assembling is when you're someone whose job is to make people laugh on stage, online, on the TV, do people expect you to be funny all the time? To answer this, we've got stand-up comedian Ken Cheng, who's actually been on the podcast before in the same episode as Dave Gorman. If you haven't heard that episode, I urge you to go back and listen to one of the funniest discussions of flags that I've ever been part of. And that's saying something. There's lots of funny conversations about flags going around. We'll also be hearing from Indian comedian Sindhu V. Uh, she's been on TV a lot over the past few months. But first, answering the question, here's a nominee for Best Newcomer at this year's Edinburgh Fringe, Maisie Adam. Answering the question do people expect you to be funny all the time yes 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 absolutely it's the bane of my life literally every time you tell someone what you do you can count on the fact that they will go go on then tell us your best joke and you sort of have to be like well it's um it's it's not sort of like that actually it's more of a anecdotal storytelling style of comedy often it's in a you know comedy club where there's a, a sort of set of rules and a relationship between the audience and and the the performer uh, and that relationship is established from an early point um and by that point the person switched off and not really believed that I'm a comedian anymore generally people do expect you to be funny when you say you're a comedian which can be a lot of pressure given that i spend a lot of time preparing my comedy writing it and I'm just not that funny in real life. It's it's harder. It's harder. Maybe if I go away and prepare prepare for it, it, I just need a script in front of me. I think it also makes it harder to be serious about stuff. You can't have serious conversations. People are waiting for the punchline. You can't be earnest. Uh, that's always a curse. Well, I wouldn't say all the time, but there is a certain kind of person that will see me and say, oh, come on over here, tell us a joke. And they're typically the kind of people I don't, I can only say I knew in the past. I edit those people out fairly rapidly. For example, one of the people who said that to me the other day is a chartered accountant. You know, and I said to them, I don't ask you to come over and do my accounts. Then the people that already know that you are a comic, they always expect you to be funny or to be on all the time. Except like your day one friends who, who just know that you're the funniest one in the group anyway. I was telling a story the other day to my boyfriend's parents 
Um, and it wasn't a particularly funny story. It was more of an observation. Really. I didn't tell it to be funny. But about halfway through, I thought to myself, oh, God, are they expecting this to be a funny routine? And are they just waiting for a big punchline? Because I do not have one. They're going to be very disappointed. And that's just me putting that pressure on myself. They probably like weren't thinking that at all. But it is definitely something that you, you sense. Like I went to my friend's birthday last weekend and she was introducing me to all her pals and vice versa and it was you know she was going oh Maisie this is Dave Dave's a policeman this is Lucy she works in HR and then like to her mates she would say oh this is Maisie she's a comedian and you can see them looking at me to be like right well you're you're going to be providing the laughs all night then I mean obviously I did so that was Maisie Adam finishing up there about, uh, you know, how hard it is for a comedian to have an off day. Obviously, as a podcast host, I can sympathise with that. Everywhere I go, people ask me to host their podcasts. Moving on to our next burning question, Dave Gorman, also a previous guest on Think Aloud, gave us an answer to the following. How does a comedian deal with nerves? I think you have to con yourself. I've got a friend who gets very nervous if a reviewer is coming in, and as a consequence, their reviews are never as good as they should be because when they don't know a review is coming in, they're better. Why would you let the fact that a review is coming in make your show worse? What a ridiculous thing to do. Tell yourself it's not important. It's not important. Doing this job is really fun. If you don't find this job fun, don't do it. If you know it's fun, and you've done it a hundred times before, and you should have by now, you're a professional comedian for crying out loud, then just remind yourself that it's a fun thing to do. Why would you make yourself nervous about a thing that you enjoy doing every night? A friend of mine throws up every night before he goes on stage, then goes on stage and goes, wow, this is fun. Surely he's learnt by now that that is the order in which things happen, that he always enjoys it. Just tell yourself that's how it is and go ahead and enjoy it. And also, it doesn't matter. I can really imagine Dave Gorman being my dad when he gives that sort of a pep talk. <laughs> now we're moving back to Maisie and Sindhu, who explained what they do when nobody laughs at a joke. This is the question that we first put to Holly Walsh that started us off on the idea of making this our Christmas special. What happens if people don't laugh? Yeah, my biggest fear. But quite simply, make a joke of it. That's the answer. Make a joke of it. Like, don't plough on with the material regardless of how the room feels. Like, you have to acknowledge that your joke hasn't landed and, and, and make that funny. Don't just move on to the next bit. Like, make a little... Make a little... Even just a little dig at yourself of how, how cocky you were to think that that would land and it hasn't. If I'm telling jokes and people don't laugh, I first panic completely then I silently think of jokes that I think will work. I try and put those out. If those don't work, I panic some more. I then often just stop and turn it into a Q&A, like, why don't you think I'm funny? Can you give me some tips? And if that also doesn't elicit any kind of positive response, I just tend to power through, say goodnight and uh, go home, feel terrible. Um, and then I get up again the next day, do it again. So two comedians there explaining why, I mean, you get the impression that being a comedian, you must feel most nights what most of us feel when we have those dreams where we've walked to school and we realise like, you know, we haven't put our trousers on. Next up, we pin down Glenn Moore, a stand-up who features on TV programmes such as Mock the Week, uh, but who's also equally well known in our circle, at least for his Twitter feed, which never fails to make you laugh. He told us how to make something not funny, funny. How you make something not funny, funny is something most comedians sort of go through whenever they're writing anyway, because there are very few things in the world that are objectively funny. 
and if they are it's usually something that's particularly slapstick or extreme or something physical. For the most part when a comedian does something observational uh, it usually isn't something that is universally funny it's just the humour comes from the audience recognising that what the comedian's saying is something that they also do and it makes them sort of feel a bit weird. In terms of when it comes down to more mundane topics, I think actually the humour comes from the fact that it is unfunny. That's how you make something funny, is because you're talking with, with great length. If you've got a comedian who's doing a really long routine about banana skins or cliff faces or hat stands, something really innocuous and dull, the very idea that they're using this platform, potentially talking to hundreds or thousands of people about something as dull as that, immediately then becomes funny because that in itself is sort of slightly incongruous and the contrast between what you feel they should be talking about on a grand scale and what they actually are talking about is how you make something funny because that in itself is such a ridiculous idea. And the writer, presenter and comedian Tamandra Harkness getting specific with the question and telling us how she makes maths funny. These days I mainly do jokes about mathematics, statistics, sometimes science. People always say, how can that be funny? But I think the answer is anything can be funny if you have an attitude to it. So sometimes something is not inherently obviously funny, but the way you approach it can be funny. I mean, I mean, the other thing, obviously, is puns, to be honest. My favourite joke of my own is a joke about statisticians. Why should you never tell a statistician he was average? Because it's mean. And that expects just a tiny bit of knowledge of statistics that statisticians call average mean, uh, just to ruin the joke by explaining it. But often I find that playing around in that area where people know a little bit, but maybe not everything, but they get pleasure in the fact that Oh, actually, it turns out I do know enough about statistics to understand a joke. And then it's also having a bit of fun about the fact that I really am quite interested in maths and statistics. So if you like, you're laughing at me. How do you write a routine about that? Well, I think the answer is you start off with something that you feel there's a joke there and you play around with it in your mind and you let everything come out, that's the kind of free form, whatever comes up, you you make a note of it or a mental note, and then you try and put some structure into it. Because an almost disappointing amount of comedy is about structure, is about the rule of three, it's about once is an event, twice is a pattern, the third time if you disturb the pattern, oh, we, we're surprised, and surprise is a big part of comedy. Or or you build up to something and then when it arrives, it has a bigger impact. Or even you drop something in and then much later on you come back to it and the audience goes, oh, we'd forgotten that. Oh, it's so nice to see it again. It's like meeting an old friend. So you, so you put some structure on it and then you really have to test it on an audience because although I have been doing comedy on and off for years and years and I have an instinct for what people will like, I still say things in front of an audience and the bit that made me really laugh, they're quite indifferent to. I, I, I do a whole explanation of the origin of data and how it was this wolf bone in the Ice Age and somebody scratched 57 notches on it. Now in binary, bear with me here, in binary, 57 notches is 111001. So that's six bits, six binary digits. 
And if you add an identifying one either end, you get 8 bits, which is a byte. So one wolf bone is equal to a byte. Now that is a pun that really pleases only me and maybe one other person in the audience. Uh, but then something that you throw away off the cuff, suddenly people will laugh at. So really you have to test it on real people and you have to be prepared for your favourite jokes to die and fail. And you have to deal with that and acknowledge that the thing that you thought was funny, nobody else has enjoyed. Acknowledge that that's in the room and move on. So yeah, I suppose those are the three stages to writing comedy. Play freeform, just let everything come out that you think is funny or interesting. Impose some structure on it, and I suppose that's the editing stage, and then experiment on real live audiences and, you know, be humble and be prepared to adjust it and rewrite. The audience is never wrong, you know. <laughs> the audience are the ones that paid to be there. You may think, they don't appreciate my brilliance, but that's neither here nor there, really, is it? It's like going on a date and saying, well, they're an idiot because they didn't see how great I was. It's just just doesn't work that way. Now, given the bear pit of the stand-up circuit, you might think that comedy is a bit of a solo sport. But, of course, as in all industries, there are a lot of comedians that inspire other comedians. No one is starting from zero. So I asked our guests, if you could work with any other comedian, who would it be? So to answer that question, we're going back to Maisie and then Ken. Oh, great question. Oh, oh no, I know. Victoria Wood. Just because I loved her sketches and the characters she wrote were always either like so painfully real or so ridiculously silly. Yet both were always hilarious. Her, her writing was really special, to be fair. It was, it was really special. It had like this beautiful warmth to it. And they were always performed with this great physicality, especially when she, she performed them with people like Julie Walters, who just absolutely nailed that physical comedy. So if I had to do a routine with another comedian, I can't really think of anyone else. So other than me, I'd, maybe a clone of me, maybe I've cloned myself, but then what's the point? You're just diluting the experience. You might as well just do it with yourself or get a whole team of you, <laughs> a team and whole army, like 20 me's just in in unison so those were two answers that you know give you a sense of different approaches you can take to comedy you've got Maisie you know very humbly recognizing her place in this uh, great lineage of female comedy uh, women supporting women that you know she is becoming a part of more and more so every day and then we have Ken's ego Finally, and this is obviously a dangerous question to ask to someone who only minutes ago told us how terrifying she finds it when people don't laugh, I asked Sindhu what her best joke is. I don't think I have a best joke. I have a series of extraordinarily funny jokes. Um, so I'll give you one that people always respond well to. It is this. I'm uncomfortable with my children learning about sex education in school because I'm born and raised in India where we don't talk about sex, not at home, okay, but not even at school, like nowhere. In India, when it comes to sex, there is no theory. You just show up one day for a practical and wing it. And I just want to point out, we're innately so talented, there's a billion of us. Well, I laughed, and if you didn't, well, that's the beauty of podcasting. She'll never know. Thanks for listening to our Christmas special. We'll be back in the new year looking younger and thinking younger, so much younger that we've decided to make our first episode of the new year all about children's literature and how the genre is changing to reflect diversity. 
Right, so it's plug time. I'm going to try and not rattle through these at the speed of an American reading out the side effects of a medication on an infomercial. But you can catch all of the comedians that we had in this episode live uh, in the next coming months. Cindy V and Maisie Adams are at the Soho Theatre in January. Dave Gorman is back here at the South Bank Centre in February. Tickets on our website. And please do go back and listen to the episode that him and Ken Chen were in a couple of back in November. Ken Moore has got his show signed, sealed and delivered in Leicester in February. And next year, 2019, Ken Cheng is on tour in the UK with his show Best Dad Ever. You can see what Tamandra Harkness has coming up on her website, tamandraharkness.com. Phew! And final plug, if you want to brush up on your literature prior to our children's literature episode in January, check out the Southbank Centre's book podcast. You can find that plus other episodes of Think Aloud at southbankcentre.co.uk forward slash podcasts.